Our fellow shepherds think that peace is the absence of conflict. But it's not. It's the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. We're contending with ideology. Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And this week, special guest, Rob McCoy, who drove, flew all the way from West Los Angeles just to be here with us today. (laughs) That's what I want to think in my mind. Right. I mean, that's kind of what we were hoping uh, maybe to think. But Rob McCoy is a pastor um, at God Speak in Thousand Oaks, California, former mayor and is on a, um, and also kind of like a catalyst for liberty, as you like to say. That's, yeah, that's that's what we'd say. Um, I'm a co-founder of TPUSA Faith, which is part of, it's a division, a turning point. I work with Charlie Kirk. Um, so we, like In-N-Out Burger, which you don't have in Tennessee, it's the only thing you don't have because this is a perfect Jeez. state. Right. Um, In-N-Out Burger only does burgers. They don't do anything else. I love it. And so uh, Turning Point does liberty. And we want to we want to awaken the <laughs> the in and out of the, be, the beacons of liberty, mm. which is the church, and, and that's and that's what got you over here um, yeah. for this past week is to spend time um, out east and uh, making making the rounds, and we just had uh, just fortunate enough to be able to have you kind of jump in here with us and discuss some things and some topics that that we've been discussing quite a bit over the past eighteen months. Yeah, and discussing you. Which is kind of fun. That'll, because, cure, that'll cure insomnia. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. You know, it was the first time I'd become aware of of you of of God speak of. I mean, I've been familiar with Calvary Chapel for uh, forever, but you know, March of 2020, when the world changed. Yeah. You know, as I recall, I think it was Palm Sunday. You guys opened for for communion. Yeah. In a safe and sensible, quote unquote, way. CDC standards. Yeah. And suddenly the Washington Post and the Times and I'm like, who's this Rob McCoy? Because I really like him. (laughs) If you don't mind, like, I don't want to dredge up painful stuff, but going back there, like, you're so we in Tennessee, we were experiencing everything you guys were experiencing, except that we didn't have a governor that was uh, tyrannical. Tyrannical. Socially, the pressure, though, was mind-numbing. Yeah. My Twitter feed, my email box, yeah. and yours was multiplied by thousands. What was that like in those early days for you? Were you, were you, you second-guessing yourself at all? No. I had, uh, after the Diamond Princess, which was that cruise ship, uh-huh. uh, a friend who's a doctor, uh, Keith Rose, and we had intel on the virus, and and what was being reported and what the data was showing were two separate things. So we, we knew that, you know, a lot of people didn't know the severity of the virus. We did. Um, and, and being the mayor of the city, um, I was mayor pro tem on uh, November 8th, 2018, when we had the most seminal event in the history of our city. It was a shooting where 12 of our young people were killed in a country Western dance hall. I remember that. Yeah. And two of them were from my congregation, and I was 
I was with the families, every single family through the night and into the morning and then the late morning and early afternoon as they were notified that their children were one of the victims. I love my city. I, I would never want harm for my city. So we weren't out to kill grandma. My frustration was the governor said abortion clinics were essential, cannabis distributors were essential, liquor stores were essential, but the church wasn't. Um, I, I think every, everybody's essential. I'd like to not say in regards to abortion clinics, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. dividing us with medical apartheid between essential and non-essential yeah. was very evident to me. And we're covered by the first 16 words of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So it was a no-brainer for me. And then I had the medical backup. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I didn't lose any sleep. I just turned off social media and kept doing what I was doing. Yeah, I, I kind of wish we'd have done the social media turn it off part. Um, we, so we didn't have at that point, especially didn't have any private intel. But Mo and I would stay up at night, like reading European epidemiologists yeah. and spreadsheets. And I remember in April when uh, the governor of New York was saying we're going to need thirty thousand ventilators by Tuesday or some number like that. And I remember like, okay, let's write that down. This is Thursday, and then on Tuesday. It was like 500 or something. It, was like some, it wasn't even kind of close. It was wrong by orders of magnitude. Massive. And, and sending in the hospital ships, the Mercy, and yeah. the, I forget what the other one was, and never being used. Mm-hmm. And we, we sent congregants voluntarily to go inspect the hospitals that were saying they were overrun. None of them were. It was, it was an absolute joke. Which was, for us, that was, because the same thing, we'd, we don't want to kill grandma. Nope. Uh, I have a grandma. Like, we, you know. So we were not, we were accused of being cavalier, I think was one of the things we were accused of. And it was anything but that. We had looked at the data, looked at the numbers, and, you know, I don't know what our jumping off point would have been, if 10% or five, what, but I know that 0.005%, whatever it was, like 99.5% survivable, that was not, that we were well beyond the jumping off point. We were well within the, yeah, let's. It was a, yeah, with people with severe comorbidities, it was problematic, 65 and yeah. older. But when you're shutting schools and it's 0.0002% chance of death, and the only kids that died around the world were ones that had diabetes and severe yeah. obesity, um, you knew there was something wrong. And then finally, when the governor, after the riots, was arm in arm, no mask, and and it, 85% of the businesses that were burned and looted were Jewish-owned and targeted. Wow. We're like, I'm done with this. Yeah. In our state, um, so in April, we did a drive-in event. Uh, <clears throat> thousands and thousands of people showed up um, at the Ag Center up the road. And we took some heat, whatever. Um, but then the next, we did it a month later, and it was the same weekend that the riots were breaking out. And so what, what we saw was the media celebrating this gathering of burning things and tearing things down and saying our gathering was a super spreader. And that was my, I mean, we were already done, but that was the jumping off point. I'm like, okay, I see what you have totally changed the rules. So it's uh, moving goalposts. Yeah. Cause what they were saying was that this is safe if the cause is essential enough. And that was, if that's the rule, then they don't get to tell me whether we are essential or not. So we were done. Uh, and we reopened the first Sunday in June without restriction. We come on. We wanted to do it in May, but we really felt the Lord say, "Turn it into a, a house of prayer." So for a month, we opened yeah. for a prayer, just five, five, six days a week, just eight hours a day. 
Beautiful. And then reopened in June of 2020 without restriction. And and I remember, and I was curious about you as a pastor, uh, thinking, oh, God, the, you know, I think we might have killed the church. Now, I was okay with it if it's because it was true. It wasn't about whether the church would grow or not. I, we did not do this to grow the church. And Neither did we. If anything, it looked like it was the exact opposite was going to happen. But did you guys, when you first reopened, was there like a uh, – because by that point, you'd gotten a pretty big name. So did you did you immediately experience a bunch of people that uh, – obviously, you got the protesters, but were there people – showing up because you were courageous or was there a few weeks of like, wow, we may, we may be in trouble. Uh, when, when we did communion on Palm Sunday, it took three and a half hours to do communion. We had, you know, sanctuary holds over four, little over 400 chairs and we had 10. Um, so you can imagine three and a half hours for communion and people were sobbing going through. So you knew that you'd, you'd hit a, mm-hmm. a chord on the heart of, of humanity but when we opened the church and defied the restraining order and, and they named me and a thousand congregants or visitors would get a citation. Now, the citations are serious. If you had a mm-hmm. NROTC scholarship, you'd lose it. If you had a concealed weapon permit, you'd lose it. Just were, for showing up at your yeah, church. Yeah, if you get one of these citations. And what was remarkable is we knew it was going to be a zoo. We just didn't know if it was going to be Antifa, protesters, whatever. Um, and when I showed up that Sunday... Uh, it was overwhelming, Darren, because people had traveled from all over the country and state, and they were basically surrounding the church saying, we'll take the citation so that your congregation can worship in peace. Wow. That was, uh, I was blown away. I was, wow. I was sobbing. I didn't know that. I've never seen that report. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I, I, and what kind of a sermon do you give? First of all, you're scared to death. The police are coming in. You know, everybody's scared you know, and people say I'm courageous or whatever. The reality is we're all scared, Yeah, but we have to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd been up all night figuring, what am I supposed to say? And I remember the words coming out of my mouth that you all, and, and, and the people showed up. One of my favorite was a guy who had opened a gun store in Ventura County, which guns in California, just, you know, that they're, they're reviled. And this guy is an atheist and I was on the council and I helped him get his, his shop opened. Um, he shows up with a sign, and he's holding it up. And I, I think it made national news. It said it took this SHI, you know, four-letter word, to get this atheist to church. Wow. <laughs> and he's in the second row every Sunday, and he's become a Christian. And, and I just said to these folks, your streams of liberty have dried up. They've, they've filled your skate parks with sand. They've closed your beaches and your schools and your businesses, and you've gone upstream to find the source. And the source, according to 2 Corinthians uh, 317, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I said, Jesus is the source. Welcome. And people who had never darkened the doors of a church showed up. And we've baptized twice as many people in 18 months as the attendance of the church was 18 months ago. And these are, wow. these are you know, Jews, atheists, agnostics, Mormons. I mean, folks that they, they intrinsic in every human heart is a desire for liberty. Uh, people want it, but they... They don't necessarily want to fight for it. The area of California that you're in, kind of paint the picture of the demographic, sure. the county. Like, what what's the type of area that you that your church is in? So Ventura County is purple, leaning blue uh, politically. Um, most of our state representatives um, are d- Democrat. Uh, all of our federal elected officials are Democrat. Some of the city uh, elected officials, council, et cetera, those are Republicans. 
in certain portions of the county. We're in South Ventura County, which borders L.A. County, North L.A. So we're right near Hollywood. So you got uh, Westlake Village, a lot of movie stars, uh, West Hills. That's where Kanye lives. And so it's it's, you know, pretty affluent area. It's the 13th largest city in California per capita. It's, I think, one of the wealthiest so, um, yeah, a lot of people are opinionated. The local papers and the county paper completely against us. So we started our own paper. <laughs> That's pretty smart, actually. Yeah. yeah, we, um, one of the things that, I don't, so the last two and a half years, you know, there's the world I thought we lived in. And then I realized that, oh, the, the, this is the actual world. So in, in a weird way, it was actually really freeing for me to, yeah. uh, any any preconceived notions I had that if I was just winsome enough and articulate enough that we could, you know, have some conversations with, you know, certain segments of uh, of the population until I realized that they actually weren't, they're looking for capitulation, right? Yeah. Not cooperation or yeah. a conversation. And, and so it, it gave me uh, just a lot of freedom because when you think about it, like I'm not saying anything differently than I've said in 12 years. But I might be saying it, it differently. Like the content is the same, but I'm, there's just a whole lot of I'm not, I'm, I'm not spending a lot of energy on trying to make the case articulately when I realized that. The, 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 and that was the thing. The, the media especially proved that they weren't looking for a, a conversation. No. And I'm curious uh, if you've had, you know, if you, uh, you think back to like uh, May of 2020, and I remember one of the reports that there were two people in your church that had passed from from COVID, which was this, you know, huge. Now, uh, yeah, go ahead. But I was giving the point being, uh, we've dis what we've discovered here is that if we were in fact wrong for opening of June of 2020 without restriction, then our percentage of our congregation with you know mortalities and severe illness should have been significantly higher than a church. That and, and so here we are, two and a half years later, and that is 100 percent not how it happened. We yeah. had our results were of zero difference than any other church in town. So I'm wondering how many of those maybe pastors or whatever have called to apologize and said they were wrong and they're real sorry about that. Mm. Uh, none. <laughs> yeah, we haven't either. Yeah, <laughs> I've been but, waiting but, for some phone calls and like hey, you know just a little bit of a hey, you, you might have been onto something, Darren. But no. Well, you know, our fellow shepherds think that peace is the absence of conflict. But it's not. It's the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but mm. a sword. We're contending with ideology. And and they they have the mistaken notion that the secular progressive left can be uh, reasoned with. They they will not be content until the church is is shuttered. Uh, that's their goal. Um, the the alphabet mafia, uh, they're 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 committed to the shuttering of the church because um, we, we dare to say that there are absolutes and, uh, they say there are no absolutes. And then my question to them is, do you believe that? Absolutely. It's a joke. Hopefully right. They get it. They don't No. Um, and, and the biggest pushback, like probably with you, Darren is, is it was from the church and they invoked Romans 13. I was, yeah. Oh, buddy. Yeah. And, and I, I over uh, and over and over again, yeah, I got a little sick of that at, and I reminded him of Jonathan Mayhew. Um, we can get into that if you want, but yeah. Well, Jonathan Mayhew was a minister. He died in 1766, but John Adams attributed the War of Independence to him. Uh, he was a minister that had exegeted Romans 13. God appoints all positions of authority. We're to submit to them. They're there for our good. Mm. 
And if you do evil, be afraid. They're, the, they're ministers of justice. They don't carry the sword in vain. They're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who do evil. And his comment was, if they cease to do good, they cease to be the authority. Hmm. And he coined the term, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. And Romans 13, in no way, shape, or form, um, declares unlimited submission to tyranny. Christ has come to set the captives free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You had, you had three to five million Jews enslaved in Egypt crying out to God for deliverance. and he sends Moses. Moses confronts Pharaoh, says, let my people go in obedience to the Lord, 80-year-old man. And Pharaoh, like all tyrants, says, who is God that I should obey him, doubles the brick output and reduces the materials. And what do all these three to five million Jews who want freedom do? What do they do? They want to kill Moses. People want freedom. They just don't want it to have to cost them anything. Mm. Mm. And, and one man in God constitutes a majority because liberty is doing what's right. Freedom is having choices. So when the apostle Paul says in Galatians, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free, he wrote that in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Executed, by the way, for violating government. Yeah. When we... Uh, so March of 2020, when we had a little extra time, I, I went back to read Bonhoeffer again, the Metaxas biography. He'd been, I think, 12 years old at that point. And I thought, you know, I might want to go back and uh, read. And then Karl Barth and his epistle to the Romans. And um, and somewhere in there, it, it connected the dots with me that... Martin E. Moeller, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how many things that... So we're um, very, very globally focused as a as a church, very mission. I see Uganda up there. Yeah. And so I, I opened our, when we get to Romans 13, so we did a series on Romans 13, and I opened that Sunday with a list of every law that we have violated in other continents, everything from smuggling Bibles into yeah. Iran to, yeah. uh, you know, we, we filed fake paperwork in North Africa for a company that doesn't exist so that our missionaries could serve. And the list is so long um, of the, the laws that we have violated, and never once did I ever hear Romans 13 against those things. No. Uh, including, by the way, feeding like we bribed a communist police chief in Nepal so that we could get food into their homes of people who were starving in their homes because it was illegal for churches to get food in. So they were just starving in their homes. Nobody ever gave me Romans 13. No. But this one, I was getting Romans 13. Now, and some people genuinely were, Darren, how do you, you know, navigate this? And we, I didn't know about Jonathan Mayhew, by the way, but had arrived at those same kinds of conclusions with it. And so we had no problem with Romans 13 at all. Uh, and in, in fact, you know, was reminded that the people that turned in, you know, uh, Anne Frank were obeying government. They, they, they were obeying the law. Yeah. And, and take a look at the Nuremberg trials. Yeah. yeah. Obeying orders is no longer acceptable when you're destroying humanity. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I made a point of saying Jonathan Mayhew died in 1766 because the Declaration of Independence wasn't signed until 1776. Uh -huh. The Constitution wasn't completed until 1787. Hmm. And so if you look at Romans 13 now, which Jonathan Mayhew didn't have the opportunity to, and you want to talk about who is the authority, it's yeah. found in the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution, we the people yeah. of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. We're the authority. The Second Amendment, ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who do evil, they don't carry the sword in vain. The Second Amendment protects the first. That's why we have the right to bear arms. 
they govern by our consent and they're constrained by the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution. When I took office, I swore to defend that Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so when the governor violates the, the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights and calls the church non-essential, which he doesn't have the right to do, right. he can go pack sand. And, and you look at the 27 amendments and the number of them that they violated by taking private property, Fourth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment. I mean, you go through all of these and you see the violation of these amendments. Uh, it, it's, it's just unconscionable. And, and yet the reason why they got away with it is because the folks, police officers, sheriffs, military personnel, elected officials, members of your congregation— they have no idea, even though they're swearing to defend the Constitution, they have no idea what's in it. When someone comes to me and says, will you vote for me and they're a candidate, I say, sure, let me ask you a question, two. First question is, how many articles are in the Constitution? If they can't answer, I say, I'm, uh, you're, you are bound by that, and that's what protects me from you usurping my authority that's on loan to you. Mm. So, no, you don't get my vote. And then how many, how many amendments are there? If they can't name that, I say, go do your homework and come back. And, and, and that's the idea, because how can you defend something you know nothing about? And, and that's what protects our police officers. They're, you know, sheepdogs, right? Mm -hmm. A sheepdog has more in common hereditarily to a wolf than they do to a, sh a sheep. And the only thing that controls them from devouring the sheep is the master. Mm. And if the master becomes the government, they're weaponizing the sheepdog against the sheep that are be to, to be protected, and they devour them. The, the way that you protect us from the sheepdogs is the Constitution. Hmm. We need to know it and hold them accountable to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, because of the amount of time I spent globally, I was I had a super misguided notion that, you know, our country was by, by no means perfect. Our country was has its struggles, but, but there were enough guys. Let, let me, you're yeah. you're going to love this. Okay. This is Dennis Prager, because what you just said is profound. America's failures are universal. Yes. Her successes are unique. Mm. I'll explain it later. Yeah. But, well, no, but yeah. that's it. So I'm thinking uh, this is taken care of. We have, there's, there's bigger problems in the world, and there are really smart people here. So then I, I, I'm not needed here. I, I, you know, we're in, in you know, I'm a pastor, right? So, but... When it comes to, I couldn't even told you who was on the school board, right? I, and we sued the school board to get into a high school, like, I, but I couldn't have named somebody on it or yeah. uh, our alderman or whatever. And and here, and, and by the way, I'm wide awake now um, to all of those things and, and the influence that it's had in here, and the influence that it has on the world. In Uganda last July, a couple of the guys over there. Um, young men who's like, you know, they don't know anything about our politics, but what they said was, all I know is that when you guys do something there, it affects us here. It matters. Yeah. Their schools were shut down for two years, hardcore shut down. 30% of the children have disappeared from their school systems. They just did what we told them to do. They did what we modeled, but they did it to such an extreme. And there's no such thing as home education mm -mm. in a village. Children were being raped. Uh, children were being, you know, sold off into slavery and, uh, the, the, the starving in their homes, people lost their jobs. You know, they had no. It was it was insanity, and you know the white privilege. It, we, we needed to look no further than the who, saying that you guys need to shut down your nation. Yeah. Um, 
from a place where they could afford to shut down their nation. And they literally killed more people in those countries than they've ever could have possibly imagined to save from a virus that was of no danger to those children. Right. And, and they, they were familiar with ivermectin. Oh, but. Um, and, and it should have been a, you know, a holocaust in, in the African continent, but it wasn't. We didn't see the massive no. breakout. But where they did the, the lockdowns, I mean, Uganda is such a perfect example because you had Muammar Gaddafi building the largest mosque in Kampala, yeah. uh, trying to bring in this Muslim influence. So you've got Christians, animists, and Muslims contending for the soul of the nation. Uh, Museveni is uh, the, the president, I think. And, mm-hmm. and you see this guy who's getting older, um, just trying to hold on. And then they use Entebbe as the UN's, you know, World Health Organization airport, which then is owned by China. China. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this country is just being played like a fiddle. Yeah. And they are the loveliest people on the yeah. face of the earth. And America is just running roughshod over them. Yeah, we have been asleep at the wheel, glo- well, globally. Um, I started noticing Chinese officials on the planes coming, especially through like Doha, about 10 years ago, I'd start to notice one or two, and then suddenly it's 10 or 12, yeah. and, and now they've built a highway that starts in Kenya at the, at the port and goes all the way through Uganda to northern Uganda, where there's been oil discovered and minerals. And when we got to the airport in July um, to go home, no vaccine required, no, um, uh, no testing required. So we're we and we I'm googling everything because I don't want to you know I don't want to spend another night and we get there and there's this giant white tent that's been set up outside of the Entebbe airport and they're saying yeah you can get into this airport without a uh, without a vaccine or without a test but you can't get out of this tent without one and conveniently next door there's a company of course owned by a Chinese company where we could get our hundred twenty dollar you know rapid test that took you know two hours. They sh- I mean, they literally were shoving it so far down our missions path. It was like an anal swab, but from the top, like they went, <laughs> they came in from, <laughs> he comes out like just a, a brain tickler fighting mad. But they were, but the point was they were saying that this stuff matters because what you, the policies you guys are forcing on the rest of the world are, they matter here. Yeah. So, you know, I've become way, not only aware, but encouraging our our believers in our church to run for school board, know yeah. who's running yeah. for school board, know who's running for county government. But you, I, I think what's impressive, you kind of have been doing that all along. So I'm, I'm definitely late to the party. I mean, you were the mayor of Thousand Oaks, right? I mean, you, you, so you've been to the party. What was it that originally woke you up to that? Or have you always been that way? Uh, g- great question. Um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were conservatives. My dad was a Navy captain. Um, He'd run for city council twice, lost, got second place both times, first loser. My mother was president of Republican Women. My dad was president of the Rotary, president of the Chamber uh, when he got out of the Navy. So they were very community-minded. I remember walking precincts with my mom. I remember meeting Reagan when I was 10. Oh, that's cool. Uh, he signed an autograph, Best Wishes, Robert McCoy, Ronald Reagan. I always joke that what he didn't realize back then was that he was endorsing me today, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I, was, I was raised with a responsibility in seeing the political side. So then when I came to Christ in college um, at, the San jo- at the Harvard, the San Joaquin Valley, Fresno State, it was there that um, I, I started to study the scriptures, and, and I was a history major. 
And then when I, when I got involved with the Calvary Chapels, which started in 1968, I was stunned that nobody talked about elections. Yeah. So guys like John Corson, who I love as a Bible teacher, they've always almost been the opposite of it, like teaching, don't, we don't mess with this stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, should I not mention names? No, no, that's okay, fine. Okay. Yeah, everything's on the table. Okay. Um, I'm going to segue from that because it's, it's, it's pretty important to hear this. Chuck Smith started Calvary Chapel in 1968 when he broke away from the Foursquare Church. And he and his wife Kay looked out um, on the shores of California that was awash with humanity that had checked out of the church and checked into Eastern religion and drug use. And they were burned out and, and just wandering on the shores of, of California. And, and in 68, this is interesting, California had the fifth largest GDP. Reagan was governor. We just finished the California Aqueduct, which is a marvel in civil engineering, bringing the the snowfall from the Sierras to the San Joaquin Valley, which is the most fertile farmland that produces more cotton than the entire South combined. So the state is conservative, but also in 68, when Chuck starts Calvary Chapel and starts ministering to these hippies who had been promised hope and change, and all of their heroes were dead, 63, JFK was shot. 68, Bobby Kennedy was shot in L.A. by Sirhan Sirhan. 68, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot in, in, a, on a, in a motel balcony in, mm-hmm. in Memphis. And then we had the My Lai Massacre, the Tet Offensive, all their, you know, all, all of, of their cronies were dying on battlefields uh, in, in Asia in, in cities whose names they couldn't pronounce. And then the warp and the woof of the fabric of the country was in a battle with socialism. Uh, I remember the riots. We lived in Washington, D.C. in 1970, uh, stationed at the Navy Yard. And I remember the protesters and the hippies. And I remember my dad getting spit on after his third tour of Vietnam coming through Lindbergh mm. Field in San Diego. So, so Chuck looks out and he wants to minister to these kids. So he avoids politics deliberately because they're so burned out. And Calvary Chapel, the, their their modus operandi is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, keep the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing. And so they had Maranatha music, introduced syncopated rhythms, drums, you know, of the devil. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and from 1968 to today, the Calvary Chapel movement has experienced 10,000% growth. We're pre-trib, pre-millennial, uh, always prophecy updates, all those things. Yep. So we do look at the geopolitical horizon for one thing, the soon return of Christ, but not to affect change in that geopolitical. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's very accurate. For every, from Brett Metter to Corson to Heitzig, that's all of it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so check this out. 1,800 Calvary chapels around the world now and one of the fastest growing missions movements. And, and the lion's share of those 1,800 churches are in California. South of Van Nuys, California, to the Mexican border, there's more Calvary chapels than there are Dunkin' Donuts. And at 1.4, the 10 largest churches in America were Calvary chapels. And we had the Harvest Crusades of Greg Laurie. Oh, yeah. Okay, so how's it changed the state of California in a little over 50 years? Mm. We don't have the fifth largest GDP. We now have the sixth. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. You combine the next four largest states' debt, it doesn't equal the debt of California. We're the authors of no-fault divorce that Reagan signed in 69, became law in 70, decimated marriage across the country. 
transgender bathroom bills and the most secular progressive sexual education curriculum ever devised by man. It's nauseating. You'll throw up just reading a single page of it. But here's the kicker. Abortion was legal long before 73 in California. We have aborted more children in California, which we lead the country. We've aborted more children in the state of California than the entire population of Canada. And we don't just rip the baby apart in the womb of the mother and flush its parts into the sewer system of the state. We harvest the organs first. We make Nazi Germany look like Girl Scouts. And, and my question to the pastors is, where's the power of the gospel? Because they say to me, I, I don't do politics. Politics is dirty. I go, so's the church. What's your point? Well, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. And I go, unless Jesus is running for office, you're always voting for the lesser of two evils. What's your point? If mm. God didn't intend us to be in politics, he would have never have invented marriage. You got to get along. And, and that's what Francis Schaeffer said. How then shall we now live? Yeah. And politics, according to Aristotle, is the highest form of community because it combines morality with sociability. Mm. And I say to my Calvary Chapel brothers, and, and this is especially for Micah and his generation, uh, and if people are wondering, the guy running the board here, making it all happen. When, when I look at Micah's generation, and, and, and if, if we're going to use our eschatology, pre-trib, pre-millennial, and say, you know, the rapture's coming, and, and why get involved in politics? It's an unstoppable juggernaut, and it's against the will of God. Well, first of all, we don't know the day or the hour. Exactly. Jesus says, occupied, keep doing business until I come, Right. He says, upon this rock, I'll build my, not church, Matthew 16, 18, he says, I'll build my ecclesia. He deliberately used a secular term. He didn't say synagogue or temple. Ecclesia was in use for hundreds of years. And, and Tyndale, in the first English-speaking Bible, translated correctly to assembly. And for that word, he was hung and his remains were burned. The word translated is the city-state, polis, which is where you get politics, the, the, mm. the cares of the city. The, the word ecclesia or ecclesia means public square, city hall. And upon this rock, I will build my public square. Upon this rock, I will build my city hall. And the gates of hell, mm. gates and slave, will not prevail. The law, when the moral law is established, and then you have civil law, the law becomes the wise restraints that make you free. But if there is no absolute moral law given by God, the law then becomes weaponized by man to enslave man. But we'll know the truth, and that truth will set us free. The law doesn't save, but it preserves. Galatians 3, the law is a guardian, a schoolteacher, to point us to Christ until faith comes. So we need to be—while we've been doing church for the last 50-something years, the secular progressive left has dominated the ecclesia. So they own the school board. And when it says, pray for kings and those in authority, that we live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence— like you said, can you name your five school board members and your five city council members by name and the issues they're dealing with that will allow the citizens of your community, your neighbors, to live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and reverence? And they can't. And I think they can't. I can tell you why I didn't think they could. And that is, um, I didn't know the names was, if you think that the church is like, the, you know, I'm not looking to the government to be the hope of the world, you know, the, the local church, yada, yada, yada. But what ended up happening then with that was that the people who do view the government as the hope of the world, Williamson County is one of the most conservative, where we are right now, the most conservative mm -hmm. in Tennessee even, right? Maybe the Southeast. I don't think you've ever had a Democrat elected. Mm, no. You could, put, you could put a kitten on the ballot, and as long as it said Republican, it would, be, <laughs> it would win by a landslide. But in our school board, we were not required to put Republican or Democrat yeah, until this year. partisan And so when you ended up uh, with were a bunch of... Um, School board people who probably upstanding citizens, whatever, but they did. They viewed the government as the hope of the world, and they were not uh, believers. They were not 
for sure not uh, viewing the world through a Christ lens. Nine out of the 12 uh, school or six or seven, I think it's 12 of them, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up our numbers. But I, I just remembered thinking, uh, you know, we have one in our church uh, named Jay who's great and he is a believer and he took a he gets lot it. of heat. Yeah. A lot of heat. Um, and for the first time, we actually had to put at least an R or a D by it so you could at least kind of know what you were getting into. And uh, one of the patterns was those that were not uh, an R were, were saying they were independent. So that was actually code for Democrat. we're still going to mask your kids and vax yeah. them if it ever happened again. Um, but that that alone was like, you know, my kid for the first time is in a private school because I, I'm in one of uh, – I'm in a county – I'm in a specific school, part of that county where it's – I mean, Page High School, they still have a drive your tractor to school day. Like now it's Come like – these are like – but these aren't like my kind of – they're like air-conditioned cabs. You know, these are like pretty wealthy farmers. Um and at the same time, they're you know they're so desperate for teachers. They're hiring twenty-four-year-olds, recently you know indoctrinated in a woke university somewhere now to be the art teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, while and my my son, I've got a seventeen-year-old who's the last of the Tylers to be in school. You know he was punk rock. He got the medical exemption and was super stoked about it. And but we finally, you know, I, if I have to drive Uber at night, I don't care to be able to get him into a, a private education now, right. where I'm not going to have to have him constantly fighting against. Um. Uh, an indoctrination thing. So we, we've we become very aware here and very comfortable in it, um, knowing what you just said to be true. Like we, and the, and the Calvary Chapel thing, that's a fascinating thought when you think, because it, it is true. If you get out here, for the most part, people don't even know what Calvary Chapel is. But on the West Coast, it's yeah. a juggernaut. And so that's interesting. And by the way, the Jesus Revolution film, you could find out all about that. Uh, yeah. uh, the guy that uh, – the, the, the Irwin brothers, they live here. Uh, John Irwin, they're the guys that produced that and directed that film. Uh, yeah. I guess it's coming out some Easter. Easter? Or right before Easter. I Easter. think it's February, March. But that's an interesting side note to that because like, uh, you're right. When you look in, in Oregon, California, like gigantic Calvary chapels. Um, Jesus didn't say – yeah. He, Jesus didn't come to make converts. He came to make disciples, and not just disciples, but disciples of all nations. Yeah. Nations are boundaries, borders, and constitutions and ideologies. And and by the way, God is a nationalist. And 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 for all those of you out there who think that's a racist statement, you're an idiot. A nationalist, God is a nationalist. Just read about the Tower of Babel. When power is concentrated, people are enslaved. God pushes the power down to the to the people. And that's why those first 16 words of our First Amendment are critical. The most powerful branch of the three branches, which holds the first string, the lower house of the legislature, Congress shall make no law. Nobody gets in between God and man. You have the freedom to always seek the Lord in America. If anyone infringes on that, if the church doesn't become the soul of America and stand in opposition... No one's going to stand in defense of the people. And that's what's critical. You know, as it says in James, he who knows the good to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Yeah. Let's flash back for a minute, back to April. No, so it's August of 20. Ventura County sues you guys. They they put a lawsuit on on the church. Yeah. Because you remained open? Yeah. Yeah. And I brought before the judge on contempt charges, held in contempt. Uh, we have a, a countersuit right now, and we're going to win that. Um, they offered us 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to just go away. We turned it down. So that was in August where they, they sued the church. They sued us. And, and, and in April, they dropped it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they, in August, they sued us. And in April, they dropped it because I basically told the judge, I go, look, you, you'll never see a dime. I'll see the inside of a jail cell before you see a dime of that money. And he was getting ready to retire. He just wanted to drink with an umbrella on a beach somewhere. <laughs> right. He never put a due date uh, on that fine. So I already knew we beat him. Uh, that the lion had no teeth. You punch a bully and they go away. Um, and we just stood and we just said, we, and, and we were waiting every, and we knew the sheriff. I mean, they were, they were begging him to come and, and lock our doors. Um, but we were, we were winning the, the, the PR game because the secret is you meme them until they cry and then you meme them crying. <laughs> Um, because they hate, you know, the Bible says to expose their evil deeds. That's yeah. exactly what we do. We point it out. We, we started like you did a podcast and it was, it, we had 20 followers on YouTube and then we grew to tens of thousands and then they, we've been completely removed from YouTube. You just completely down now. Yeah, yeah. Because listen, the truth is never afraid of a lie, but a lie can't survive in the presence of truth. So that's why you get that's why you get censorship. And then they put forward their propaganda. I've never seen this kind of censorship in 58 years on this earth. And yet they are going for it. Yeah. But we're finding alternative ways. And you get, you get, you know, Peter Thiel, you get, you know, homosexuals that are taking over Rumble that are defending free speech. Right. Rick Rennell, a, a gay male contending for the freedom of religion and you're like man th th something funky's happening in America when the church won't stand for it but the people they revile are standing in defense of them that the thing that's been amazing to me in the last two and a half years is the voices you know of like you said openly gay uh, agnostic atheist yeah you know in a world where Russell Brand and Bill Maher are making more sense Right then, our president. Right? It's a fascinating yeah. little world we find ourselves in. <laughs> Come on. Um, how much of it was you? Because they were coming after the church, but you and your wife personally were also in the. Oh, they came after us, yeah. In the sights of that. Yeah. How, how did your wife fare through all that? I love my wife. She's, she's, she's tough as nails. She's a, she's a, an iron fist and a velvet glove. Um, and Wormbrandt, um, uh, martyr. Um, his wife said something years ago that we both had read, um, and Victor Marx's wife had, had quoted it too. And that's what Michelle said to me that day when I read to her the legal pad of all the things we're going to lose when I talked to the attorney. And she said, Rob, you know, smiling at me because we both love the quote. She said, Rob, I'd rather be a widow than be married to a coward. And I just love that woman. She's been yeah. with me every step of the way. My kids were thrilled because... We're contending for their generation. And I brought Micah up because think about this. Pre-trip, pre-millennial, if we're just doing our eschatology to justify our apathy and we're not engaging in the ecclesia, mm -hmm. young people like Micah have more hope tuning into Greta Thunberg because if she can stop cows from flatulating, there's a hope for their future. But nobody is building their future. And, mm. a, and a nation grows great whose citizens plant trees of which shade they'll never know. We're supposed to be serving his generation. Yeah. It's the first time in America history, American history, where the older people sacrifice the life expectancy of the young so that they could live longer. The yeah. older people yeah. could. It was a shame. We shut their, their schools down. 
I mean, that was criminal. What happened to the biblical concept of raising the next generation and serving them? Yeah, when I hear people talk about that it's the pandemic and now, because now, of course, and none of this was not unknowable. It was obvious that depression, anxiety, that the, the learning was going to be... Suicide rate. Everything was going to... Oh, so this was not unknowable. Yeah. But it makes me uh, livid when I see these reports and blaming it on the, quote, pandemic mm-hmm. and not blaming it on the policies. Yeah. These were not inevitable policies. These did not have to be these policies. The, these cu- the, cure, was more dead, the cure was more deadly than the virus. Yeah. You had commented about the Washington Post article. And by the way, that I spent a lot of time with that reporter, um, secular Jew. And, and he could have been brutal because Washington Post does not do nice things. And that article, in all intents and purposes, was pretty accurate, not flowery, but pretty accurate. The one area that he missed is he talked about the two deaths in our, in our church. So when I stood before the judge on contempt charges in Ventura County there, at, at that point, it had been 102 deaths attributed to COVID. Only two of them died from COVID. Everyone else died with the youngest COVID victim was in his 40s, who was in a car accident, collapsed lungs, tested positive for COVID. They called it a COVID death. Yeah. The two people that died from COVID, one was in their 90s and the other in their late 80s, a male and a female. And I'm like, judge, really? This is the only, only virus where we, we use this metric. It's a glamour metric. And Nobody's dying from it. They're dying yeah. with it. And by the way, the Post is still counting deaths in that exact way. An article yesterday that's saying that uh, the uh, it's, uh, the new, it's now more white people are dying than black people, and it's uh, it's of course a narrative, not a uh, not a piece of journalism, but but they're using the same metric of even counting deaths. There's no recognition whatsoever of the difference between dying with and dying of. And nobody's looking at VAERS where, you know, we shut down the swine flu vaccine for 200 deaths. We have now calculated over 40,000 deaths at the vaccine adverse events reaction site that takes hours to fill out paperwork by a doctor and you'll be alienated and ostracized if you do. Yeah. And, the, and we've got 40,000 recorded, close to 40,000 recorded deaths. Uh, and, and we're still having, we're, we're, we're putting it on the CDC standard to make it part of, you know, um, childhood vaccines, childhood vaccine, which the only reason schedule, the only reason that it's now officially on the schedule that they would do that is that absolves all liability for um, vaccine manufacturers to receive any sort of lawsuit. We, Charlie Kirk and I um, have did this for a while. We haven't done it recently, but for a while we were doing this. We we would be in front of a crowd, large crowd of people, and we'd say, how many of you know someone who died from COVID? Raise your hand. And, And smattering, if any at all. How many of you know someone who died from the vaccine or has had a severe uh, health issue, what, which required hospitalization? Raise your hand. Unbelievable the number of people who raise their hand. And yet nobody reports this. It's as though just close your eyes. It's, it, forget about the man behind the curtain. And, and every night, whether it's Fox News, CNN, whatever, just, I just ask you this question because Robert Kennedy Jr., Democrat, is my dear friend, Bobby Kennedy Jr., what are the commercials? They're all big pharma. Just follow the money. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, the thing about the county we live in is people think into a Nashville that it's 
the, the entertainment business is where the vast majority of the, the large houses come from. Uh, and that's not true. It's from the healthcare industry yeah. of big pharma companies here. And, uh, you know, we have had a little bit of a front row seat to just the realization of, you know, there's an enormous amount of money. And, and the thing that's been so, I mean, honestly, vexing about my friends who are liberals is they're supposed to hate big pharma. They're supposed to hate yeah. big corporations, but they've literally given a pass on one of the most, this is like the biggest softball in the history of the liberal agenda to be able to say, you know, a, a company that is making billions of dollars on an untested, you know, unproven well, you, you know technology. The, you know the jingle, don't you? I don't. Because Pfizer Pharma has a way with messing up my DNA. I, I wrote that. Sponsored by Rob McCoy's Big Pharma. Rob, did you see this? Uh, I don't know if you saw um, the DeSantis-Christ debate at all this past week, or I guess a couple days ago. Something interesting that's happening, and in, in Newsom is doing this, Chris is doing this, where they're taking scripture. Yeah. And they're... they're, they're and Warnock. In Warnock, oh, yeah, man, I did not. So Chris, Chris, you know, used the "do unto others" verse um, this week. Um, Newsom is using the same um, as it pertains to abortion as well. Um, not just abortion, but um, um, yeah, for abortion, Mark twelve thirty one, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so it's these, these these wow, and these are billboards that they've put in Oklahoma. Lo lo love your unborn. Neighbors. Yeah. That's right. No, that's right. They've got billboards up. California has paid for billboards in Oklahoma yeah. and Mississippi. Yeah, we are the abortion destination. That's right. Come for your abortion vacation. And tagging Bible verse yep. at the bottom of that as uh, inspiration I for mean, such things. Blasphemous. I, I didn't know that. Our, well, okay. Here's, here's because uh, I was just with Sean Foyt in D.C., and, and when Roe v. Wade was overturned, he was the first one on the steps of the Supreme Court building, and there were 50 people there worshiping and thanking God. Wow. 50 people. How many churches during the pandemic, during the, the Black Lives Matter, how many of you put up black tiles? Right. Just I'm just asking the question. Yep. If, you, if your church put up a black tile on your website, my next question to you is, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, did you do anything on your website? Because Black Lives Matter is supported by Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood supports Black Lives Matter. 4% of the population of America, childbearing black females, are responsible for 40% of the abortions. It's a holocaust on the black community. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. She wanted to wipe out the black community. Their birth rate used to be over 7%. Now it's one6 in 20 years, you're going to have to go to the Smithsonian Institute to see a black American because they are wiping out their people. And Warnock, declaring himself to be a minister of the gospel, believes in the, in the destruction of a, of a child created in the image of God. And, and Jesus' name was Jesus in the womb of Mary when he left, John the Baptist yes. left in, in Elizabeth's womb. Uh, God came as an incarnate uh, you know, fetus. And, and declared so. Yeah. But Warnock somehow justifies his, his pastoral position that it is godly to rip apart a, a baby created in the image of God. And, and the churches that didn't post anything when Roe v. Wade was overturned didn't mean they ended abortion. It just means that the states now have the ability to, to vote their conscience and it doesn't become a, a judicial fiat where they force this misery upon the land. Yeah. California, we have blood on our hands, and, and the church 
which exploded in California, if they don't start standing for this moral issue, this nation conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal will perish from the face of the earth. We lost 650,000 soldiers on a field of battle to, to, to change the warp and the woof of the fabric of our country when we remove the scourge of slavery. If the church doesn't get the destruction of these babies um, and, and calling America to that conscience that this has to stop, whatever you think this freedom is, we're 4% of the population of the world. We've had more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies, more wealth accumulation. You ride in an elevator invented by an American. You fly in a plane invented by an American. You enjoy a light bulb invented by an American. Internet, which we're enjoying now, invented by an American, not Al Gore. The Tennessean. The Nashvillean. The the point is, we don't have more natural resources in Canada. They have a larger land mass, and and more natural resources exist in South America. Why do we have this? Because we have one thing. We have liberty and freedom. And and morality, it's like morality and character. And I'll, I'll close with this. Morality is not doing what's wrong. Character is doing what's right. So if your child comes home from school and says, Mommy, Daddy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't, you'd say, well, that's the moral thing to do, but where's your character? And the child would say, what do you mean? You'd say, why didn't you tell the other children to stop it? Well, they would have all laughed at me. Victory's not determined by the outcome, but by the obedience. And you are going to be the minority. Yeah. Truth is ridiculed, then violently opposed, then considered self-evident. And the church... We are the beacon of truth. We must contend in the world of ideas and in civil government ecclesia for the sake of our neighbors. And if we don't, we will lose this gift of freedom that has existed longer than any other nation in the history of the, of the world. And we're actually broadcasting this on Lewisburg Pike in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, By the way, this is God's country. It's so beautiful it's here. It's beautiful. Lovely and people. And of those 600,000 people that died, uh, tens of thousands of them died here on this road. Uh, Mr. Hood, who owns the property next door, he's a Civil War era yeah. family guy here that's still here. Yeah, General Hood. You know, um, descendant. How, you know, Spring Hill was a major battle. Franklin, in fact, Frank, the Battle of Franklin was a major battle that changed the course of the war. Uh, and that was 150 years ago. 157, yeah. Yeah, you go to, you know, you go to Israel, you ask them about something that's four or 500 years old, they don't even touch it. That's an antique store for them. Like, it's just not worth, you know, they're they're digging up stuff two, 3,000 years old. 157 years ago is a blip in time in history. That was not that long ago that our nation was ripped apart uh, over immoral, right? And so there's... When you when you start talking to people that don't think you should be talking about politics, and, and I have a lot of pastor friends that I love, I think they love me, um, that say, "No, we're just here to declare the whole counsel of the Word of God. That's our job." And but the idea that we can actually have someone in in an office that I don't know, maybe maybe morally either this or that, but but they're, they're, at least they're going to be voting and, and standing up for issues that are important to my children, to Micah, you know, my grown children. Why? It's actually just maddening to think that why wouldn't I want to say something about that? Like, why wouldn't I Amen. want to speak up and say, I want people on the school board here that are that get the best interests in mind of our children with the worldview, with a Christ, you know, worldview on it. 
that is actually loving your neighbor as yourself, that is doing unto others, you know, not in a uh, whatever. I, I'm still I'm still struck by that. Like, that's fascinating. But so, you know, we, we definitely we lost people from the church that thought I was getting, quote, too political. Um, they'll, they'll come back. Uh, some have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm willing to which is where the character comes from. Um, if, if it's true, then that's, this just is what it is. Like that's, I would rather go down that, that quote about, uh, rather be a widow, right? I've, yeah, I've, 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 I heard you say that in an interview. Oh, I've used it. be a widow to be married to a coward. And my wife, and by the way, my wife has thrown that in my face a few times when like, you know, we work a lot in Haiti and Haiti is a very, yeah, very, very dangerous dark. place right now. And I was kind of whining about it, you know, back in April. And she's like, well, babe, you know, I mean, you. You're it's immortal true. until God's done with you. Exactly. That's what she says. <laughs> she, she, she believes it. And, you know, uh, it, you know it, it, but that's the moment where I get to, do I really believe this or do I? And that's, you know, we have been so spoiled because we've been in a, in a world and a society that has been maybe opposed to our beliefs and our worldview, but, but silently. But I've been surrounded by men and women for the last 20 years who have literally risked everything. So when it, about, you know, when it came to for us with COVID, they're going to find us or they're going to be mean to me on Twitter. Like that's, that's it. That's the best they got. Like they're not going to cut my head off or imprison my children. Like, Oh no, what will I do? Yeah. Like, wow. Like it was like, um, it it, it wasn't that scary to us. And we, and I guess we kind of need to wrap up, but how, how, let me ask you this, your staff, we were blessed. We had a hundred percent agreement when we reopened. We, we sat down a little bit and said, hey, look, you know, your job to have a closed church and to have a job are incongruent goals. So we need to, you know, talk about this. And then, uh, and we, I didn't have anybody, I had a lot of pastor friends who had like, you know, especially, you know, people in the millennial age that were, that were opposed. And in fact, some churches that actually stayed shut down because they were, they were afraid their staff would uprise on them. Yeah. How did you guys do it with your staff? So I've been the same guy for 22 years, pastor in the church. Um, the first person I went to was my wife, and you know what she said. My kids were all in. Then I went to the staff, and they're like, look, we've been with you through running for office. I mean, <laughs> This wasn't going to be a surprise. Yeah, There's yeah. no shocking They're news. like, we're with you. The tough one was the 15 elders. It had to be a unanimous decision, and I met with them, and I said, you guys have the same fiduciary responsibility I do. You can lose just as much as I'm going to face to lose. Um, I said, so you guys get two options. Um, and, and I'll be content with whatever you decide. You're my friends, you're my brothers, but we, we're either together or we're not. A house divided won't stand. I said, I'm going to violate that restraining order tomorrow. And if this board isn't unanimous, in front of you is an envelope with my resignation. And you deal with it. Hmm. And it was unanimous. Yeah. And then I called the landlord because I don't want to own property because they'll take it from you in California. Our landlord's from West Texas. And I called him up and uh, I go, Dan, you know, they're gonna probably take your building and they're gonna mess with you. And he goes, Rob, we gave that to the Lord a long time ago. <laughs> you go kick there. And then he said, yeah. Yeah, West Texas, we yeah, know that. West Texas. That's right. He's brave. Huh. And, and so we were all in, we counted the cost. And here's the coolest thing. And I wanna say this to all of your listeners. Look, we're all scared. But I found something out. When you realize anything given to God first will never be lost, and you, you, you count the cost and then you surrender it, 
the fear goes away. There's nothing they can do to me now. Hmm. Not, a, not a doggone thing they can do to me now. Now, that's, that's an opponent that frightens the daylights out of them. I'm no longer scared of them. There's nothing they can do to me on this earth that's, that's even remotely as valuable as liberty is to my children and my grandchildren. Hmm. Did you have any pastor friends that surprised you as far as the opposition to you? Yeah, yeah. Some uh, very disappointed. Um, others unbelievably surprised. Um, I, I call it the island of misfit toys. You know, as, as we travel the country, we, we get to, it, it's like uh, the great escape when they're all at the train station and they're like, oh, you made it out. Meeting you, Darren, is just like that. There's, there's many of us that haven't bowed the knee to bail. And, and my heart soars as though we've known each other forever. I mean, the minute we saw each other, there was joy. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of God pruning his church. And then you watch all the dead wood where their churches are just dropping in attendance and they resent you. Yeah. Romans 11, you provoke them to jealousy because mm. we've grown 400%. And it, basically it's the people with your fences down because you refuse. Watching church online is like watching a fireplace. You can hear it and see it, but you don't feel the warmth. Mm. Do not forsake fellowshipping with the saints. Get to church. Build immunity. Herd immunity. Meh. <laughs> we are not super spreaders of a virus. We're super spreaders of courage. Yeah. Yeah, we... Uh, that's really funny. Super spreaders of courage. I should wish I'd have written that one. We... Uh, I, I took it from you. Don't you remember? It's yours. Yes, actually. Good preachers borrow. Great preachers steal. I'm sorry I stole that. Yeah, we... Uh, when we reopened in June, we started... We found our people. I don't know how else to say it. I remember, I mean, I mean, you know, your neighbor, uh, John MacArthur, right? I mean, he's written books that say that my theology is, uh, you know, strange fire, you yeah. know? Yeah. But I'd go to jail with that old Codger any day. Yeah. I, I ran into him at Diamore's Pizza because <laughs> he lives in Camarillo. He doesn't live up in the high desert. He okay. lives in Camarillo where he writes his books by the ocean. Ooh, that makes sense. And he's, he's at Diamore's Pizza because it's the only place that's open. And Diamore's Pizza is owned by our congregant <laughs> who employs guys that have come out of prison and he wants them to stay alive. And not be on drugs. So he he's defying the county. John and his wife are having a meal there. And I go up and I introduce myself to him. I said, Pastor John, I'm Rob McCoy. He goes, Rob McCoy? Boy, that sounds familiar. I said, I'm a pastor in town. I'm, I have, I've, like you, defied the governor. He goes, that's right. Thanks for joining us. I go, Pastor John, <laughs> we did this four weeks before you did. And I go, we're the 101st Airborne at Bastogne. Yeah. And you're Patton. Yeah, you're the ones with the gunshot wounds in the front, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I said you're Patton, <laughs> yeah. and we're we're thrilled you're here. Yeah, but we that's good metaphor. Yeah, that's we true. were doing all right. But but John, Pastor John, used to call our founders rebels, yeah. and that they were in violation of Romans 13. He's got a whole new, you know, deal now. So yeah. that guy, yeah, he thinks I'm strange fire. Yeah. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I, yeah, because I think as we've joked, like, will I go to jail with this guy? Like, that's the new litmus test. For right. <laughs> well, I always, I always tell pastors, if we don't get liberty right, we're going to ar be arguing our theological differences in prison. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Dave Ramsey? Mm-hmm. Um, Just drove by that building that's his. It's working out pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Dave opened in June of 2020 without restriction as well. <clears throat> good for him. Yeah, we actually appreciated it because they were so busy writing articles about him. They, they didn't know we were down here. <laughs> so we were like, thanks, Dave. Uh, he's a real deal. Oh, buddy. Yeah, he is. Um, he's great. And they, 
what, what, he, what he's done for couples in our churches. Yeah, I'm grateful for the man. Well, I'd, I'd like to meet him someday. Uh, we can actually make that happen. He um, really cool. He reopened in June of 2020 without restriction. Um, you know, some of his woke activists that were on staff, you know, quit and started tweeting about him. And blessed subtraction, <laughs> you are now gone. Yeah. Uh, you, you write jingles on the side, right? And I'm a singer. I'm writing yeah. these down. Yeah. But he by uh, by December that you know one of many hit pieces that had come out, but one of them was about his you know this Christmas party and the uh, the super spreader and and the uh, the writer of this. Uh, I don't want to say journalist because he's not. Uh, Deep in this article, it says that they had 100 cases, uh, confirmed cases, which, by the way, should have been the headline. Open without restriction, no masks, no nothing, and only 100 cases and no deaths in nine months. Like, thank God for people like Dave, because in a, in, a, in a mass experiment like we just did with our society, we have a control now. We can yeah. say this is what happened with those that shut their companies down, and this is what happened yeah. with those that didn't. But his courage, even in the face of that in our community, was... Uh, super inspiring and when I say found our people you know there were other pastors here and by the way I still love them I really do and, yeah. I, and I wish they wouldn't have been angry at me and I wish they you know still weren't some of them but at the same time there were those that I found that I didn't know were my people uh, and you know I, I would include you know Dave is in that world I knew he was a fighter but I, I mean he's a hillbilly he was ready to get the, the pitchforks and the torches and you know march yeah. to the capital yeah. um, but there were pastors here that uh, in this community that, you know, we have just become dear, dear friends because we were, we were taking it on the, the you know, on the gin together. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know, like, you know, I, the definition of a friend is when the whole world goes out, they come in. Yeah. And I've, I've had the privilege to meet real friends like you Yeah, and that, and, and this is, this has been the litmus test, uh, to show the remnant church that is still healthy and and still vibrant and yeah. alive and fearless. One closing thought, Rob. Yeah, I'm sorry if I interrupted you. No, no, no. no you're great. You're, okay. you're the guest. We want to talk as much as you will. Yeah, I'm gonna wanna wrap this up for a minute. I mean, there might be listeners thinking, well, why are you guys talking about something that happened a couple of years ago? COVID's over. We've moved on. Really? <laughs> News alert. Yeah. It's not. It's not over. COVID may be over, but. The idea of tyranny and liberty, like that fought, that fight is raging on. So what, what would you tell the church? How should we prepare? What does the next three to five years look like for the church? Uh, I would I would study the Great Reset. There's there's a we've talked about that. Good. Seven extensively. Points. Here, yeah. yeah. Um, th that's where they're going. California, as California goes, so goes a nation. So just to let you all know. Uh, most of the Californians have moved to Tennessee. Yeah, I'm so and, sorry about that for you guys. <laughs> well, and I'm sorry for you because they bring with them their bad political ideas. So I will say this. Most of who we've seen in our church and neighborhood like minded are liberty loving. This is true. And, and that's what saved Texas because mm -hmm. it was it was it was right leaning Californians. But you got a whole nother group coming. So get ready. They're the the cancer is going to spread. And And my point is this. We now have bills that have passed, Proposition 1, AB 2223. Uh, doctors now in, Cal in California will lose their medical license if they, if they b believe contrary to whatever the narrative is by Big Pharma. Uh, when, when did we become the People's Republic of California? And you, you'd think 
that would never happen. And, and as Congressman McClintock used to say, what can cause someone to leave the beauty of California? And when I say beauty, I can be, I've done this, I, surfing in the morning, snow skiing in the afternoon, and dirt bike riding in the desert at sunset, all in one day. The trifecta. The trifecta. Beautiful, beautiful state. What can cause people to leave the beauty of California for the deserts of Nevada and the wastelands of, let's say, West Texas? One thing, bad government. And they're going to come here and bring that with them because good government only happens with good people. And all that's necessary for evil to prosper is for moral men and women to do nothing. Mm-hmm. So I would say to all Tennesseans, you have a gift, but liberty is of scarce little value if you do not participate in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, if there's virtue, meditate on these things. This is critical to the survival of a nation conceived in liberty. And if the gospel's the most important thing, Pastor, and that's what they've been telling you and me, right, Darren? Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel's the most important thing. If the gospel's the most important thing, then the second most important thing should be protecting the government that protects the preaching of that gospel. 86 cents of every dollar in evangelism comes from the United States of America. You bind the strong man, you plunder his house. So you have work to do, Pastor. You can't sit back and justify your apathy any longer. You must step into the public square. Your people need you. Don't be a coward. The fear of man is a snare. Well said, man. We I know that we could talk for another three hours, buddy. Easy. He said, "Great reset." There's two hours right there. Yeah, right we've, we've we've we've. <laughs> I'm bringing Charlie Kirk to your church. Man, let's do it. We've. Would, uh, would you would you welcome him? Yeah, let's do it. He yeah. would. You, 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 the first church he ever spoke in was our church. I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, "Yeah, churches don't want me." I go, "Why is that?" Because he has a secular 501c3. I go, "Charlie, oh, really? huh. yeah." yeah. Turning point is. Which means you're going to have atheists and agnostics and, you know, but it, it's irrelevant in the sense that they're all rowing in the streams of liberty and, the, and it's pointing to Christ until faith comes. And Charlie has now spoken in hundreds of churches, and he's one of the best preachers in the country as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, I mean, we've, just watching him online uh, over the years, I didn't, for some reason, I didn't realize that was like a brand new thing for him with the churches because it sounds like he was, it sounds like he's been doing it a while. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. If, if folks want to check it out, it's tpfaith.com um, or tpusa.com. And then I'm robmccoy.us on my Instagram. And if you guys ever need anything, if I have it and you need it, I'll give it. Yeah, well, right back at you. I Thank mean, we you. were we, we were kind of building a little war chest over here just with the hopes that uh, we could help some pastors out with with their fines if it if these fines yeah. stood. And, and my eyes are, uh, all our eyes are on Mike McClure right now. Uh, that was, you know, I served in that church for four and a half years. His dad is my mentor. Well, that makes sense. Oh, that's cool. And 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 the attorney that is is helping Mike, I I get I got okay. him. Uh, and and Mike and I have been knitted at the hip. Now he's he's about four million dollars in fines. They're not wow. going to see a penny of it. And Santa Clara County is one of the uh, World Economic Forum cities. Yes. And and that San Jose is. And and that DA. He is doubling down, and he's just dumber than a box of rocks. Yeah, and 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 Mike is like, is, yeah, okay. He's the most mellow guy you can imagine. Um, and the church has exploded. 
uh, he, 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 it's, when his dad preached there, it didn't have that many people. And Don, oh, Pastor, wow. yeah, That's Don McClure is one of the best preachers I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Mike is just fearless. I mean, he's, yeah. I well, love that guy. Man, we really appreciate you coming by today. Yeah, thank you. It's a vitamin B shot of, of liberty and excitement and courage for, for all of our listeners, for all of us to, to be reminded that we still have some work to do here. Like, there's plenty of work to be done. Winston Churchill said the man was cursed to have been born in uninteresting times. You know, Mo, for, for uh, you and Darren and Micah uh, and me and, and, and Jeffrey, we, like, like Jeremiah— before you were born, I knew you. We were born for this this time. We get to do this. Our DNA is fully equipped by everything God's given us to make a difference in the world. So we don't grow weary in well-doing. That's don't right. despair. Mm. Step up, folks. You're yeah. more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. 